You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. This is my part three of four of different films that I'm going to be looking at for um, for the month of July, and they're not really related, so you can jump in or jump out how you want. This week, I felt like I want I was really well all month long. I've just been doing films that I enjoyed and trying to figure out why I enjoyed them and looking at them theologically. So today's film is The Darkest Hour, um, which just a raise of hands. How many people have seen The Darkest Hour? Oh, good. That's great. Maybe a, ha- a third or half. Um, well, it's well worth seeing. It's I can recommend it kind of without reservation, almost, which I can't do with all films, just because of the the content. You know, it's PG-13. Isn't it wonderful to have a PG-13 movie that's delightful? That's you get a sense of history. Um, there is some salty language in it, but Winston Churchill was a salty man. So um, before we go into it, some of you might know that it's. Um, that it's about the it's about this one month basically during uh, World War II, which was the month when Winston Churchill became prime minister. And if you know your history at all, you know that he became prime minister because there was a vote of no confidence in his predecessor. And so, um, so with that in mind, there this he stepped up to bat at a very dark hour, and it is indeed one of the darkest hours of the whole war. And they do a really good job of portraying that in the film. One of the things that was happening, I just had this up here, and so I'm gonna this. You'll have to reserve this in your mind. But the um, the evacuation from Dunkirk was ha- happened during that same month. Um, of, uh, Winston's first few weeks in office when it happened, he was really put to the test right away. And if you've seen, it's amazing how Hollywood does this, where we'll have two films that are about a very similar topic. Uh, up at the same time, a few years back, there were two films both about magicians that were in, you know, it was so weird that Hollywood does this. I think something happens behind the scenes and they get an edge on each other and they try to compete for as many seats in the audience as possible and as many dollars. Well, these two films work really well with each other. And so you just see this evacuation. Um, at Dunkirk, there was the, there were these flyers that the Nazis would, would fly down, that they flew, you know, kind of papered the town of Dunkirk with while the British and the French soldiers were trapped there. Um, and they, they papered them. This is what they show in the movie, um, Dunkirk. You are in the center. We surround you. Surrender, and you survive, basically. And, um, and here in, in the English, it, this was the actual one. Again, this is history versus Hollywood. But you still got the sense of how dire, how nasty of them to have this perverse propaganda that was sent in. And I just put this up at the front just because it's easier for me technologically to show it at the very beginning of the class. But again, this is about just this wonderful moment in history. But I do think every one of us has a moment where we feel surrounded, surrounded by the enemy. And the lies of the enemy in that moment, the lies of the evil one, are just almost like these pamphlets lobbed over saying, saying the truth, maybe even the truth. You're surrounded. I've got you. Give up your mind. And essentially, the Lord is the one that fights our battle miraculously for us. And that's what we're going to talk about today, even as we look at um, these two films, but really at the darkest hour. So keep this image in your head of that surround, uh, the surrounding. Dunkirk was on the very edge of the water. 
and the English and British had their backs up against the water, um, and yet um, all hope was not lost. And Winston was one champion for hope, he against hope, um, and that was really one of his biggest fights, was against his own party, who was trying to tell people, we need to just give up and surrender and negotiate with the Nazis. So again, um, with that in mind, we're going to look at the, the trailer for Dr. Stone in just a minute. But before we do that, since I've already sort of laid the groundwork, let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, you are our victory, that we have victory in you. And we thank you, Lord, that even in the darkest hours of our lives, you are right there with us. Even when we feel besieged, you are the one who strengthens us. You are the one who has already won the victory. And um, through your death, Lord Jesus, you've won the victory and you've been raised from the dead. And so we ask, Lord, that, that that gleam of hope, the glimmer of the reality that is really the true reality would shine through, especially for any of us this morning that feel beleaguered and besieged by suffering and sin and trial and really ultimately the evil one. And so we ask, Lord, that you would powerfully minister to us, even through the secular means of this movie, um, that you would minister to our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Okay, so let's look right here. This is the trailer, a trailer, if you haven't seen it yet. Tell me if this we must now select my successor and determine one man the opposition will accept. He stands for one thing and one thing only, himself. Why have I been forced to send for Chester? His record is a catastrophe. It is my duty to invite you to take up the position of Prime Minister of this United Kingdom. I speak to you for the first time as Prime Minister. The Germans have encircled 16 British and French divisions. We are looking at the collapse of Western Europe in the next few days. How long have they got if we don't rescue them? Maybe two days. We would need a miracle to get our men out. We have the weight of the world on your shoulders. We're facing certain defeat on land, the annihilation of our army, and imminent invasion. We must negotiate these talks. When will the lesson be learned? You cannot reason with a tiger when your head is in its mouth! Nonsense. The only slippery slope. Would you stop interrupting me while I am interrupting you? <laughs> we have before us many, many long months of struggle and suffering. Even though many old and famous states have fallen into the grip of the Nazi rule, we shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Too loud? Yeah. Okay. So for some, yes? No? For some people, I think if you're right by the speakers, it's too loud. That's Is right. it okay over there? Wow, right? It's, it's a good movie. I would even say it's a good movie for 
children, like older children to see. I mean, there's, even with the salty language, it'd be great for them to learn about the history. It's, as you saw, even in the midst of the darkness, it's very funny. There are just moments where you're laughing out loud. Gary Oldman, who plays Winston Churchill, won an Oscar for Best Actor, and he well deserved it. I mean, he did so well as Winston Churchill in his speeches. Churchill's speeches are so famous. Well, Gary Oldman did a really good job of making them what they were, which were, were incredibly inspirational. And so, you know, with a lot of movie trailers, you see all the best bits in the trailer, and then you kind of like miss it. You know, the rest of the movie is flat. But this is actually, this movie, there are so many more high points like that. You have so many of his great quotes. I love, you cannot negotiate, or you cannot reason with a tiger when your head is in its mouth. <laughs> and then he really did say, will you stop interrupting me while I'm interrupting you? He really had to hold court in his war cabinet. He had put um, the opposition, which actually was his own party, into the war cabinet out of good faith. And then they were they were um, pulling for negotiating with Hitler, and they were doing everything to do that. So again, it's a great movie to see. It was nominated for six total uh, Academy Awards, including Best Picture. It won for Best Actor. If you're ever wondering is the movie worth seeing, go to Metacritic and see what the score is. The score, if it's in the green, it's probably worth seeing. This one is a 75 in the green. It's directed by a man named Joe Wright, who is not that famous of a director, but he did a great job with it. Personally, I wanted to see this because my parents had already seen it and were raving about it. My father, as you know, is a minister as well, and he had this habit of um, memorizing uh, speeches from one particular historical personage leading up to Thanksgiving Day every year. And his Thanksgiving Day sermon was always in costume. So he would, he's, he's done Abraham Lincoln, he's done George Washington, he's done Winston Churchill, which is interesting even as Americans, that he did Winston Churchill. But the year that he did Winston Churchill, I mean, I come by my acting interest, honestly. We were all, I would think I was a, I was a child, and we were just so annoyed because we'd wake up to hear him shouting, never, and practicing his loud, belligerent, bulldog voice. We're just like, oh, come on with it already. But so we all have a wonderful fondness of picturing my father dressed up as Winston Churchill. Well, again, um, Gary Oldman is even better than my dad as Winston Churchill. So again, a little historical background. This is the late spring of 1940. As I mentioned before, there was a vote of no confidence in the current prime minister, Neville Chamberlain. And his party got to you know, figure out who the next prime minister would be, and the vote of no confidence was even from the opposing party, but within, Winston wasn't the first choice of anyone, including the king, but he was um, made the prime minister at this, at this, mo at this darkest moment in um, the campaign for, Britain, for, for Europe. Um, so again, this truly was a moment of great trial, one that changed the course of history, not just for the Brits, or for Europe, but for the whole world, as we know that Hitler would not have stopped at Europe. We know that for sure. Um, and yet at this point, there's still some uncertainty. Maybe um, the people that want to negotiate say, maybe he'll let us keep this or keep that. And Winston is so right on about it. He assesses Hitler for who he is. And there's a wonderful scene where he's trying to figure out what kind of word to use to describe Hitler in one of his speeches. And you see all the choices he probably shouldn't have said publicly, but that he wanted to say. And it's very, it's very cathartic, actually. So we have some moments through the film where um, Churchill is challenged to tell it like it is, to tell it honestly. Are the Brits winning or are they losing? And in 
his first radio speech, he was so inspirational, but he wasn't completely honest about how bad things were in France. He said so um, wonderfully, motivationally, side by side, the British and French peoples have advanced to rescue not only Europe, but doubtless mankind from the foulest and most soul-destroying tyranny which has ever darkened and stained the pages of history. Conquer we must, as conquer we shall. He's saying that at the moment that, um, as you remember from the flyer, all not just the, um, some of the British troops, all of the British army, which had been there to defend Europe and fight alongside the French, was surrounded on all sides by the Nazis with their back up against the ocean. And again, um, they had this idea. Churchill's idea was they couldn't get, if you've seen Dunkirk, they couldn't get the big ships in to get the people out, the soldiers out, but they um, called for all, all vessels um, from the coast to be able to go, and there were over 900 little seafaring vessels that were not a part of the Navy that were commandeered to be able to carry away the men, and, and they did end up carrying away over 300,000 soldiers that didn't end up having to surrender. So I commend that movie to you, Dunkirk, as well as a great um, encouraging example of, of what happened during that moment. Well, back to Darkest Hour. Churchill, if you know anything about him, he's a strange protagonist, right? He is um, he's selfish, as they said. He only cares about one person himself. He really did love the public limelight. He's crass. There are some very crass moments that are also very funny in there. And you see this with, they kind of play him off of this young ingenue who's acting as his, playing his secretary, who's sort of um, overwhelmed by him. He's loud. He's chimerical. He'll one day, you know, one moment he's happy and jolly, and the next minute he's angry and yelling. Um, he also was probably an alcoholic. Um, King George VI said to him, uh, how do you manage drinking during the day? Because he started very early. And Churchill responded, practice. <laughs> <laughs> he was a mixed bag. In truth, he was actually weak and laughable, and many of his opponents laughed at him. Um, weak and laughable, just like those tiny little ships, um, the little private vessels that were going to go and rescue um, those troops at Dunkirk. But we have to remember that we, too, we're, we're a mixed bag. We can relate to it, can't we? We are no heroes on our own, left to our own devices. And so it's actually encouraging to see someone like Winston Churchill um, empowering and encouraging so many people, even at this darkest hour. So again, during the month of May in 1940, at the end of the month of May in early June, um, the combined French and British forces were pushed back by Hitler through the Low Countries there in the very northernmost part of France. Dunkirk was passed through um, different powers that be over the centuries. And at this point, it's it still belongs to France. It's a French town there. It's the very northernmost French-speaking town in the world, um, with the exception of some of the Quebec towns that aren't big enough to be called towns. So um, in the, in, uh, again, you see what will happen. Uh, there's this moment where Churchill's trying to figure out what will happen to try to save these troops and to continue the war. Again, if the troops are captured, they have to negotiate. They have no chance of being able to fight back, um, and the war would be over. And so again, he's calling out, uh, calling out for all all help that could possibly come. There's a beautiful scene that um, really shows the darkest hour for what it is. Um, not only are they beleaguered by the Nazis, but then they're abandoned by friends. We see a phone call with Roosevelt, 
FDR. It's a day for FDR um, with Roosevelt. And Roosevelt ends the call by saying, it must be late there. And Churchill responds, in more ways than you could possibly know. Basically, the Americans were not going to help at that point in the war. They weren't even going to allow the British to come and carry away the planes that they had purchased from, from the Americans. So again, there's no help seen to be coming from the US. And his own party, remember, the leaders wanted to negotiate peace with Hitler. His own, own party would not support him. So I relate to this. I don't know about you, but how many times have you ever felt as though your back was up against a wall? Um, do you feel overwhelmed by what life brings? The suffering, maybe. Loss. Uh, maybe it's temptation to sin. Fear, as I was talking about this morning in my sermon, and anxiety. Uh, in this life, we could say on one, on one level, we too are in a fight to, to the death against the, against the cosmic powers of evil. Our back is seemingly up against a wall. We're back on the beaches again and again, like the main characters in Dunkirk seemingly sitting ducks for the enemy, whether it's um, temptation to sin. And we hear this in scripture in Hebrews 12. In your struggle against sin, um, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. It assumes that there will be a struggle against sin in this life. We are tempted at times to despair, um, that the suffering in this life would cause us to give up in that way. We're tempted to give up. And Peter talks about this in his first letter. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And again, we're tempted in these moments where our back is up against the wall. We're tempted to compromise. We're tempted to um, compromise on what we believe, um, to, um, to not bear witness to the truth of who God is and who we are in him. Um, and yet there's this call to self-sacrifice in scripture, um, this call to lose our lives in order to find them. As Jesus says in Matthew 10, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In the midst of all of these besetting temptations, there's the call throughout scripture to fight. Even as Peter had said, stand firm, to trust in the Lord, to fight the evil one, and to fear not, um, to not even fear for our own death. It's kind of amazing to be able to have the class segue with the sermon. I guess that's what happens when you're doing both. But, um, but there is this um, sense in which um, even the things that we really could fear in the Lord and because of his grace and mercy towards us, we don't even have to fear those things because we know that in him all of those things will be taken care of. Even the greatest fear, our death, um, will only be a comma and not a period at the end of the sentence. And so we hear this command to fight all throughout scripture and to stand firm um, because of the fight that God has already won for us in Jesus Christ. And so these lingering battles in this life, they're really like skirmishes. The war has been ended and there are still these battles just that we'll um, struggle against day by day. And yet they, the war has already been won. So we can struggle and fight knowing that victory belongs to the Lord. So we hear this language of fighting. We hear it in Paul's letters especially. We hear it in Ephesians. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What kind of fight is it? He writes, well, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And again, Paul counsels Timothy first in his first letter, as for you, a man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then again about himself, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. That is the call for each one of us to fight the good fight. Well, what's beautiful about this movie is there is a moment where um, where um, Churchill's about to give up. I'm not going to totally give it away for you, don't worry. I usually, I often do when I do these classes, but I won't today. There's a moment where Winston, Winston Churchill was about to give up, and they show this beautiful scene um, with the king. With This is King George. If you saw the king's speech, if you don't know your history, but you saw the king's speech, this is the same historical personage. He doesn't look like Colin Firth, actually. So. Uh, don't be confused. Didn't have a fact. Correct. Halifax is the opponent. I should like to know your mind. It would be helpful to know yours first. I should like to know it myself. Nations which go down fighting rise again, and those surrendered, safely at finish. Belgium? Collapsed. Norway? Poland. France, anyhow. And the mode of Parliament? Fear, panic. And you? Are you not afraid? I am most terribly. Support in the war cabinet for the campaign of resistance has collapsed. Later today, I, I will address the House accordingly. strike fair into that broad heart is worthy of all of our trust. We shall work together. You shall have my support at any hour. Beat the buggers. I will go to Parliament, but without supporting my own party, I must sue for peace. You once gave me some advice. Perhaps I can I can give you some. Go to the people. Let them instruct you. Quite silently. They usually do. But tell them the truth, unvarnish. If invasion is imminent, if our troops in France are lost, they must be prepared. I'm certain that is 
I, I have very few people with whom I can talk frankly. Perhaps now we have each other. And I'm no longer scared you. <laughs> A little. But I can cope. <laughs> King George wasn't supportive of him from the beginning anyway. He's actually close friends with Lord Halifax, who was one of the opponents within Winston's own party, or Churchill's own party, I should, I guess, what's most respectful, I don't know. But um, but how about that, that, um, that he's encouraging him to tell the truth unvarnished, and then that he has the support of the king, he has the support of the most important person in England. There, that's the turning point. That's the first ray of light. Um, that's what helps Churchill stand strong. And he listens to him, and he goes to the people. We'll see that in um, in the next scene. Um, but even in that moment where he's been betrayed by his own party, if Churchill has the support of the king, then he could stand. He could stand and fight for um, for the people of England and encourage them to fight, um, knowing that every man, woman, and child would have to fight, and maybe even to the death, to be able to fight against the evil of, of the Nazis coming in. So again, for us, as we fight against sin, death, and the devil in this life, we have to remember it's not our fight. We actually have the support of the most important person of all, God Almighty. Um, and he is the one who has already won the battle. And if he fights with us, then in all of the injuries that we might experience in this life, none of them really matter because he desires only to bless us in Jesus Christ. We hear this in that lovely passage from Romans 8. Um, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Again, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The ultimate passage for anyone going through a hard time as Romans 8. Just, I, I can't tell you how many times a week I encourage people to just read through it. Some people, for some of, some of us, it's every day. We need to read through the whole passage. It's, it's even better than listening to Winston Churchill's motivational speeches because our trust is in um, the one who will never let us down. So well, Deborah, yeah, please, Dean. I know you fear it, and I know yeah. I fear it. Yeah. And I also know you won't let me hijack it too much. Yeah, yeah. But is it a paradoxical effect that when we get to that point that we fear the most that we try to insulate ourselves from, but when we finally get to that point, that's where we really discover 
what living is truly mm -hmm. all about. Yes, and I'm going to get to that, Dan. In this idea, even the title, The Darkest Hour, again for us, the worst day of the week is actually probably the day where we're most relying on the Lord because we recognize our continual need. We always need him. But when the hour is the darkest, we're m most aware of our need for him, and we are actually probably relying on him more than any other time. Um, and we'll look at we'll look at um, what happens in the darkest hour here in just a minute. I mean, he so he goes. The king right says, "Go to the people." I think you're underestimating the people of England. And there's this wonderful scene for those of you who've seen it, where um, where he does go to the people. Right? Thank you, Mister. <laughs> now, how are you all? He escapes from his chauffeur and he sneaks down to the underground. He's never ridden on the underground. All of his years of life, he's never ridden on the underground. And so he goes down to the tube to ride around and ask the people of England what they think. Uh, it's like how you won't bear enough? Good, good spirits? Yes. Uh, just as well, we shall meet them. Uh, uh, let me ask you something that's been uh, away Perhaps you can provide me with an answer. You, uh, the British people, what is your mood? Uh, is it uh, with the confidence? Confidence? How confident? Very. Some people say it's a lost cause. A lost cause? Is it the only ones worth fighting for? Too right. Yes. Now let me ask you this: If the worst came to pass, and and the enemy were to appear on those, those streets above, what would you do? Fight. Fight with anything we can lay our hands on. Reminding that we must street by street. You'll never take Piccadilly. Never take Piccadilly, indeed. What if I put it to you all that we might, if we, uh, if we ask nicely, get very favorable terms from Mr. Hitler if we enter into a peace deal with you right now. What would you say to that? Never! Westminster, sir. Westminster, it's my stock. 
romanticized in some ways in the way that people are talking to each other. I've been on many a New York subway where no one would actually talk to each other. It's Hollywood. It's, it's the Hollywood version. But how about him quoting um, this obscure 19th century poet, Thomas Babington Macaulay, death cometh soon or late, then how can man die better than facing fearful odds for the ashes of his fathers and the temples of his gods? Again, this willingness to die, rather to die than to have, um, than to have evil overrun their whole country. And, um, and Churchill will go on in another speech that we'd see later on to say um, to the other MPs, it appears to me your will also that if this long island story of ours is to end at last, then let it end only when each one of us lies choking in his own blood upon the ground. He said that so profoundly, so um, beautifully. Again, there's this sense of death being the greatest thing that we have to fear. And how many times are the things that we're afraid of that would keep us from being bold in our faith, from fighting back against the enemy? Um, when we get paralyzed in our fears, it's because we're afraid of the things that can't actually harm us in the long run. I often try to ask myself when I'm paralyzed by worry or fear, what's the worst case scenario here? Could God be the Lord could God be good even in the midst of that scenario? And the answer is always yes. Um, again, in Jesus Christ, he has given us the ultimate good. And so we know that anything that happens to us in this life, any of the evil that could happen to us here, um, will not be lasting. It would be even momentarily, even if England had lost and the Nazis took over the world, took over England and then the rest of the world, God would still be God and God would still be good. And there would still be people that he would raise up to fight against evil. So again, this true fearlessness about our own death and all of the other things actually involves faith in the one who died and rose for us and will raise us at the last day. There's a beautiful quote from one of my favorite theologians. We see in the death of Jesus our death, and we remember that we are but dust. We can begin to take the truth. We learn dying. The cross destroys the wisdom of the wise. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That marks the parameters of our story as far as human possibility is concerned. We see, as Luther puts it, the way things really are. We look at all things through suffering and the cross. We live only on the strength of the fact that the creator breathed his spirit into the dust and gave us life. We live on borrowed time, time lent us by the creator. Yet we also see in the death of Jesus on the cross a rebellion against that life. And we note that there is absolutely no way out now except one. God vindicated the crucified Jesus by raising him from the dead. So the question and the hope comes to us. If we die with him, shall we not also live with him? That is the end of our story for the time, beginning, for the time being, but it is the beginning of faith. Again, that soberness about our own death, realizing even that the sufferings in this life are like little deaths. And yet, they're nothing to be afraid of in Jesus Christ. We know we'll be raised again at the last day. And you see that fearlessness about death right there um, in that poem that Churchill spoke. And even in the way each one on that train said, never, I would rather die than have evil overrun my, com my country. Coming even from that tiny girl. Wasn't that sweet? Even that girl saying never was so powerful and so strong. Again, during the darkest days of our lives, we need to remember that during that dark day of Jesus' death, that literally dark day, as we read in scripture, that the sun 
didn't shine during those hours when Jesus hung on the cross. During the darkest day of Jesus' life, during the darkest day, we would say, of all of human history, God was actually working out his glorious victory over sin, death, and the devil. So we call that dark day good, Good Friday. Um, The cross alone is our theology, as Luther said. Even in our darkest days, we can trust that God is good. He's doing something good, even though we can't see it. So again, victory is already ours, and victory is already ours because we have faith in the one who died at the darkest hour, quite literally, as I said. And so because of this, because we can put our whole trust in um, our in God and through Jesus Christ, then we can say with Paul, we can rejoice with Paul, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The death of The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the victory that you have won for us through your Son, Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross. In that darkest day, you were working out the greatest good we could possibly imagine. And so we ask, Lord, that you would cause the light of your love to shine um, on our, in our hearts, that you would um, strengthen us and bolster us with your own support as we face dark days sometimes, as we have low moments, as we um, struggle with sin or as we're tempted to despair, as we wonder what you're doing in the world, even through the sufferings that we face. We ask, Lord, that you would give us strength. We ask, Lord, that you would be the one to rise up within us and fight the evil one through us. We ask, Lord, that you would set before us the truth of your glorious redemption and that um, we would be given strength beyond strength to be able to stand firm and to fight in your name. Thank you, Lord, again, that you've won the victory and all of our fighting is already victorious in you. And so we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen each one of us for whatever battle we face today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.